All right, church, would you stand with us as we declare what we believe this morning?
this morning to have a celebration. If you're wondering why you come in and you see lights and you hear music, is that we're here to celebrate the faithfulness of God and our Lord Savior Jesus Christ. Join me in seeing that today. God of Abraham, the God of covenant, and faithful promises. Time and time again, you have proven you'll do just what you said. Though the storms may come and the winds may blow, I'll remain steadfast. And let my heart, the way you speak a word, it will come to pass. Great is your faithfulness to me. Great is your faithfulness to me. From the rising sun to the setting same, I will praise your name. Great is your faithfulness to
before you this morning, giving you worship and giving you praise because you are so worthy. May this song be an offering to you. Throne of endless glory to pray. 
Good morning. Look at that, hurricane or not, baby. We're still here. And if you're at home right now, we love you too. And stay away from, you know, uh, uh, puddles or what do you call those things? Uh, floods. Stay away from them. And, uh, you know, the people in the Midwest are like, these guys, two, three inches, and they're all worried. And, uh, and <laughs> somebody's nodding his head. <laughs> yep, yes, we are. Hey, listen, we've never had a hurricane. It's a big deal. It's going to turn into a tropical storm, whatever. I turn off my sprinklers and out the water. The drought is over. I declare it. Anyway, uh, welcome to Camarillo Community Church. My name is David Hurtado. I am uh, the uh, lead pastor here. Uh, amongst many unbelievable pastors who are here to serve you and really... Uh, our goal is to see you grow in your faith, and to that end, we are going to dive into scriptures 
today in our series in 1 Samuel, which we've been in for the entire year, and uh, we'll probably even go into next year before we, we land the plane on it, but it's been an awesome journey. I hope you're enjoying the study through 1 Samuel and the principles that we can gain um, from, from uh, kind of saturating ourselves in God's Word. But it is football season, and there's nothing of baseball to talk about anymore, and so... <laughs> So we're moving on to football season, everybody, and it is fantasy football season, and I know many of you are doing your drafts right now and getting up your teams, and some of you guys are in keeper leagues, and all that's going on right now. I get a phone call every year around this time, hey, you want to join our fantasy football team? And I always say, I used to do fantasy football. In fact, I was the commissioner of the league in my fantasy football league several years ago, but I have since stopped doing fantasy football and uh, it's because my wife gave me an opportunity at some point to choose between her and our marriage and fantasy football. Some people would call that an ultimatum. I prefer to call it an opportunity. And so uh, I chose my wife, and I continue to choose her every year of my life. And so when you guys come up to me and say, how come you won't join our fantasy football league? It's because my wife is 100% more cuter than you are. And that's why I don't do fantasy football anymore. But I needed boundaries because it was just all-consuming. I was studying every minute of the day. I was going to church on my phone, picking up drop players like you guys do. And it's wrong. It's sinful. And, and, uh, and uh, my wife helped me with that boundary. I remember one particular season 22 years ago. Um, I, I was involved in this fantasy football league, and it was when fantasy football just had kind of stormed across the scene. It was there before, but now all there was all this web-based programming that can in real time keep your score. So you weren't trying every Monday to figure out who scored what. It was all done like on Yahoo or whatever. ESPN has all the little outfits that would do that for you, and so everybody was doing it. My team was far, far better than every other team in the league. I mean, everybody knew it. I mean, I had uh, the best in any way you look at it, whether it was uh, overall accumulative points. I had the best QBs, the best running backs, the best defense, the best sleeper picks. I just happened to hit a couple of sleeper picks. It was just by far the better team. And lo and behold, I find myself in the uh, fantasy football Super Bowl championship against an inferior team, of course. Everybody knew it. And uh, I, uh, on Sunday morning, as the Sunday morning games were over, I was up by 30 points. 30 points. In fantasy football, that's a lot of points. And, uh, and, and we still had the Sunday night game and the Monday night game to go, but I still had my wide receiver, my star wide receiver, who would score 15 fantasy points every year, I mean every week. And so I was like 45 points ahead, and the guy that I was going against for the fantasy football championship of the world, of our little 10-people team, you know, you know um, he had his defense and his kicker. Defense and kicker. If you know anything about fantasy football, they don't score points. I'm 45 points ahead, and he's got his kicker and his defense. And it was uh, Monday night. I'll never forget it. Monday night, Christmas football game in Dallas, Texas. The Dallas Texas, uh, I'm sorry, the Dallas Cowboys versus the Tennessee Titans. In Dallas, mind you, uh, he had his kicker and his his, uh, defense, and I had my wide receiver left to play. I thought to myself, this is in the back. Like, I can't lose. I'm 45 points ahead. He's got a defense and a kicker. They probably average 25 points a weekend. I'm going to win by 20 points. Well, let me give you the stat line for this game. You can look this up. This December 25th, uh, 2000, the year is 2000. The Tennessee Titans go into Dallas. They get four sacks. 
two interceptions, one return for a touchdown, three fumbles, one return for a touchdown, and they shut out the Dallas Cowboys at home, mind you, uh, 31-0, to which in fantasy football, depending on how it's set up, uh, it's an ten, extra 10 points when you shut out another team. Four sacks, two interceptions, one return for a touchdown, three fumble loss, one return. For, I mean, this guy, just in defensive points, he scores 45 points. Listen, that never happens in fantasy football, except for this one day. He, his kicker uh, kicked five field goals, and so he got 15 points on five. So 60 points in, uh, with his kicker and his, and his uh, defense, and my 15 points, my 45-point lead didn't matter. He beat me by 15 points. 15 points. And that right there, my people, is why I hate the Dallas Cowboys. I was supposed to win that by like 30 points. And the guy with the inferior team ended up beating me. And you know what I learned that day? Sometimes, as it relates to the NFL, you need to learn to expect the unexpected. Uh, uh, There's just sometimes things, anomalies happen, especially in sports, you need to be able to expect the unexpected. And you know what? That's not too different from our situation or our relationship with God either. I'm here to tell you that sometimes you need to expect the unexpected. In fact, it's our big idea this morning, and I hope you'll say it with me as well. Within God's paradigm, we really need to learn to everybody expect the unexpected. That was a sorry excuse for a response. Let's try that again. Within God's paradigm, we really need to learn to expect the unexpected. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Expect the unexpected. I'm telling you, that's what we're going to see in our passage today. And I bet some of you might even be surprised or even shocked as we dive into it. Would you open up your Bibles right now to 1 Samuel chapter 16? We'll be looking at verses 1 through 13 together. If you have your phone, please get it out. If you're online right now, open up another window. Get a, word, a copy of the Word of God. Some, some way that you can highlight, underline, uh, be a part of this, and saturate yourself, kind of marinate yourself in the Word of God um, as we look at this together. How does... God surprises us with his values, and how do some of his values come across a little counterintuitive? What, is, what shocking advice does he give us, or does he give to the downtrodden, and what stunning perspective does he give as it relates to societal evaluations? How should I respond when I'm down, and how does God's evaluation different, different, differ from society's? Again, we're in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 1 through 13 together. The overarching question today is, what are some surprising truths that may shock you about what God values? What are some surprising truths that may shock you about what God values? The first one is probably the most shocking. As we learn that depression is not an excuse for inactivity. I want you to look at this, double take it, take a picture of it, Depression is no excuse for inactivity. Yeah, that is what it's saying, and that's what we're going to see in our text. Depression is no excuse for inactivity. Before I dive into that, I always try to give a caveat when I talk about depression. Uh, there's like everyday depression that, that the majority of us would deal with. Maybe we get low on a day once every two weeks, maybe once every two months, maybe once a year. I'm in that category about eight to 12 months, I'll have a real low day, and by the next day I'm fine. Okay, that's kind of regular depression. 
There's also something called clinical depression, which is a brain chemistry issue. And, and while I think if you're in that category, you will enjoy some of the principles that you learn in the scriptures, please continue to follow your doctor's recommendations on how to treat your depression. We're not trying to say that that's not there. Just, just the same way I would say to somebody who, is, who has um, low blood sugar, take your insulin. Like, a, like yes, uh, the principles of scriptures are there, but at the same time, deal with the medical things that you gotta deal with. Uh, but for our purposes, what are some surprising truths that may shock you about what God values? Well, number one is depression is not an excuse for inactivity. I want you to see this as we read together in uh, chapter 16 of 1 Samuel. Well, let's read verses 1 through 5 together. And if you don't have a copy of the scriptures, it is on the screen for you to watch along. It says this, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, Bethlehemite, for I provided for myself a king among his sons. I'd love for you to underline that, highlight that, underscore that some way. For I have provided for myself a king from among his sons. And Samuel said, how will I go? If, if Saul hears of this, he'll kill me. And the Lord says, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I have declared to you. And Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the city came to meet him, trembling, and said, Do you come pleasively? And he said, Pleasively, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to this, to this sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. We'll stop there. Uh, what are some surprising truths that may shock you about what God values? Number one, depression is not an excuse for inactivity. Depression is not an excuse. There's this interesting interaction between God and Samuel, his prophet, in relationship to him going and going, go to Bethlehem and anoint me a new king. And, and as he's going to Samuel to have this message to him, he says to him, why are you wallowing in your grief? Why are you sitting there in the puddle of your own tears mourning? Why are you doing that? I have provided a new king. I need you to get up and go. The divine how long will you stay in this state is a rebuke, a prophetic rebuke to the prophet Samuel. I mean, just think of that. How long are you going to sit there and wallow in it? When are you going to get up and go? We got important stuff to do, and that's not stopping for you right now while you're dealing with this. Now, let's give Samuel some credit. I mean, he is coming off like a pretty profound thing. Uh, we, we remember in the book of Samuel, chapters 11 and 12, when the people said, we don't want you, God, we want our own king. We don't want you to be a king, we want a real king, is what they were saying. Everybody else has a king, and he's got broad shoulders and he's strong and he can, he, 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 he looks the part. He can protect and he can provide. We want one of those, God. You're not good enough for us. And God obliges to that. In the midst of obliging that, there's this like uh, moment where Samuel gets the people to like, to redevote themselves to God. This is chapters 11 and 12, if you remember. Like reestablish your, 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 your allegiance to God. And there's like this whole moment where the whole nation is, okay, God's going to give us our king. He's going to be human. 
He's going to be the hand of God. We're going to have the prophet who's going to be the voice of God, the mouth of God. And this is how we're going to establish this kingdom where God still rules and reigns over these individuals, through these individuals. But our part is to give our allegiance back to God. And so Samuel's processing a lot. That's what was supposed to be. That didn't happen. And now God says, I'm no longer going to have Saul as king. He's lamenting all this. He's lamenting the hand and mouth whole thing. He's lamenting the demise of a friend and a coworker. He's, he, he is, he is grieving and mourning the demise, the, the demise of a divine plan, a, a divine vision, an ideology. Have you ever had a dream that failed? The dream is gone. And he's sitting there, and he's disappointed about it. Now, what I'm not saying is that we shouldn't take time to appropriately mourn and grieve situations that we should appropriately mourn and grieve. We should. But how many of you know people who stay there an awful long time? And that's what I think is in mind here. How long are you going to stay there? The purposes of God are still here. The, the mission of God is still here. There's still things to do for the kingdom of God. How long will you sit right there kind of waiting in your own tears? Sometimes you got to get up and go. And that's what he tells them to do. Get up and go. Take your horn, put oil in it. We got another king to anoint. Let's get moving. To which uh, Samuel says, okay, this, all right, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll stop morning. I'll, I'll get on the plan. Let's, let's go. But just help me understand how this is going to work out. Because as soon as Saul finds out that I'm going somewhere, he's going to be like, where's he going? Because he's already heard you say that he's not going to be the king forever. And so he's going to be watching me because he's thinking if God's going to have another king, he's going to need Samuel to anoint this king. And so he's going to get, he's going to get word of this just by me kind of leaving town. And he's going to kill me. So how does this work? You're asking me to commit political treason. It may be the will of God, and, and, and I will do it. But how do I make it out alive is the idea. And so God says, I want you to take a heifer, which is a young female cow. Go with you. And if anybody asks, just tell them you're having a sacrifice to the Lord. It was actually very typical for a prophet to, to go from different regions. And let's say there was an unsolved murder. They would go and offer a sacrifice of, of, a, of a female cow in response to that, going, Lord, would you help us find out this atrocity type of thing? And so it would look very normal for him to take a young heifer and go to this general region and have a sacrifice, hold a worship service kind of thing to ask God to be involved in that. So God gives him a way to make this seem like it's all regular normal activity but really God is sending him to anoint another as king well the people respond uh, from the city of Bethlehem the elders come they're like um, hey uh, Samuel are you coming peacefully uh, we just heard about you and how you took out the king Agag of the, uh, the Amalekites how you chopped them up into pieces we just want to make sure before you come on in is this like a, a judgmental type of thing uh, you know uh, is this a, a visit uh, of judgment, or is it a disciplinary visit? What kind of visit is this? Just so we can have our expectations straight and uh, go get our shields. And, uh, and uh, he says, no, I'm coming peacefully. Uh, pure, purify yourself, both physically and spiritually. We're going to have a worship service together, is basically what he tells them. Uh, they would customarily go take a shower before you, 
you, um, you came to the Lord. Hopefully you took a shower before you came here today. But I just understand in those days, you know, um, you could go days without, you know, they don't have the same cleanliness rules. And you really would have a reason because you're, you're always involved out in the wilderness and whatnot to be clean. So clean yourself physically before the Lord. Clean yourself spiritually before the Lord. Put on clean clothes. Avoid contact with any kind of dead bodies or anything else that would be, make you ceremonially unclean. We're going to have a worship service to God. We want to present ourselves the best we can towards the Lord. And he says something interesting to Samuel in verse 1. I want you to go. I want you to invite the house of Jesse. I want you to have a worship service, for I have provided a king for myself among his sons. I want you to go back to verse 1 and see it. Fill your horn with oil. Go, and I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite. For I have provided for myself, and that's the big thing, myself, circle that, a king among his sons. Here's the interesting thing. The first king that came on the scene wasn't God's king. The first king that came on the scene was the people's king. They wanted a guy who was tall, uh, good looking, had physical stature, and that was the people's king, and it's worked out miserably. But now God says, I'm going to put my king in place. Now that that situation's worked out miserably, I'm going to put my own king. I have a king from the house of Jesse that I want to lead you to. Jesse was of the line of promise. Now we're headed towards uh, King David being anointed. And remember that he has to come from a certain messianic line. And so uh, uh, Jesse fits the bill for that. Uh, If you go to the um, Gospels and you look through the genealogies, you will see that Jesse is of the line of Ruth and Boaz, which is also a Messianic line. If you've never read the book of Ruth, I challenge you to read it this week. It's an incredible, beautiful story uh, about how Christ is our kinsman redeemer, um, uh, kind of the type of Boaz to Ruth. And so a beautiful, beautiful story. Well, Ruth and, and Boaz are the grandparents of Jesse. And Jesse, of course, is of the line, the Messianic line, where Jesus must be to be the Messiah, and through the Davidic line, which is also where David is coming from. And so, all that puts together this beautiful story about how the Messianic line is coming together, and God's king, uh, the King David, is coming through that Messianic line. But in essence, he says to Samuel, sadness, disappointment, loss of a dream, We ain't got time for that. The purpose of the kingdom of God remains. Get up and go, Samuel. Take your horn with you, put oil in it, let's go. We got stuff to do. Stop letting the enemy relegate you to the sidelines. It's time to get in the game. How we would apply this into our own lives would be something like this. Well, Pastor, you don't understand. I got church hurt. I've been hurt by the church. Well, it's been years now, and it's time to move on. Pastor, you don't understand. There was a moral failure of a pastor who had a significant impact in my life. Like, he's the whole reason I bought into this thing, and then he fell morally. Well, here's the thing. God didn't fall morally. It's time to move on. Pastor, you don't understand, my spouse who promised to lead me towards Jesus left. They're the one who left. Yes, but Jesus didn't leave you. It's time to move on. 
Now, again, it's not that it's not uh, um, appropriate to mourn and grieve things as it's appropriate to mourn and grieve things. But at some point, we got to leave that behind and move on because the purposes of God are still there. God's mission for you in your life is still there. God still is trying to do things. His kingdom is still there. Even though Saul failed miserably, the kingdom of God through David is still going to move forward. Samuel, you can't sit there any longer. you got to move on. And that is kind of the counterintuitive piece of this. We go, well, man, I, I, I don't know. I don't think I'm ready. None of us are ready. But some point and sometime after we've appropriately mourned things that we need to appropriately mourn and grieve, we got to move on. The purposes of God are still before you, and they cannot be shelved because of your depression. Get up and go. Do something. Sometimes the doing of something for God can bring about that healing that you're hoping and waiting for while you're doing nothing. Move on. Go forward. Keep on moving. Depression is not an excuse for inactivity. Well, let's keep on going. What are some surprising truths that may shock you about what God values? Number one, depression is not an excuse for inactivity. Number two is that the right leader isn't always externally visible. The right leader isn't always externally visible. What we think is the right leader because of externals, because of charisma, because of stature, because of resume, isn't necessarily always the right leader. External visibility isn't the key indicator. Let's look at this starting in verse 6. We'll go to verse 13. It says this, when they came, he looked on Eliab, Eliab, I'm going to go with that, and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I've rejected him. Circle this line, underline this, highlight that. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the what? Heart. Man, that circle. And that's the great, the grand difference between Saul and David is the heart. And then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel and again, the Lord said, neither, is this, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And then Jesse sent uh, um, Shema, and he passed by, and he said, neither is the, has the Lord chosen this one. And then Jesse had seven of his other sons pass by Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And then Samuel said to Jesse, are, are all your sons here? And he said, well, there remains one, the youngest, but behold, he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down until he comes. And he sent him and brought him in. And now he was uh, ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. And then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose and went back to Ramah where he lived. What are some surprising truths about what may, uh, uh, surprising truths that might shock you on what God values? And, and the second one is that the, the right leader isn't always externally visible. There's kind of a, a, a not this, but this kind of thing going on in our passage. <laughs> there's seven of these brothers that come forward, not them. And then there's this one younger brother who comes and yes, him. 
Uh, not this one, but this one is what we're dealing with. And as these older brothers come, the first one, the eldest one, Eliab, or Eliab, um, his height, his height of stature was noteworthy. And this is something that Israel greatly valued. Remember, that's why they liked Saul so much, because he was tall, broad shoulders, strong. He fits the part. He looks the part. He's the king. He can defend us. And, and even, even Samuel gets, like, wrapped up in this. This must be him. He's tall, strong, uh, strong, tall, worthy of battle, worthy of a battle warrior. He'll be able to protect and provide. And yet God says, no, no, no. Uh, I, I don't want you to think that way, Samuel. Human beings are easily impressed and therefore easily deceived. But God looks at the heart. The Lord doesn't look at the things that man looks at. By the way, the main difference, as I've said many times in this series, between Saul and David is the heart. Saul would make some big, grandiose mistakes. You could argue that David makes some bigger, more grandiose mistakes. So why does God prefer one over the other? Because of the disposition of the heart. Saul, never repentant, never truly repentant. Sorry I got caught more than sorry that I disobeyed the Lord. David, in his massive mistakes, repents and utterly says, I'm so sorry that I've offended the true king, the God of this world. That's the difference between the two of them. And so God says, I don't want you to look at the exteriors anymore. We're going to look internally. We're going to see who has the heart of God. All the brothers pass by. God says he chooses none of them. Finally, Samuel goes, well, I know he sent me here to the house of Jesse. He's supposed to be a son that I'm supposed to anoint king. Um, apparently, I've gone through his whole house. And he goes, but there must be another because God said it comes from this house. And he asks Jesse, is there another son? And of course, Jesse goes, well, yeah, there is. But he's kind of youngest. He's the smallest. He's the shortest. He's the cutest. And he's shepherding the herd right now. He can't be him. Samuel says, no, bring him. Uh, David is described as ruddy, used of Esau as well. It's the idea of being reddish brown in, in color. It's appropriate for man. Um, also, he either has attractive eyes or he's attractive to the eyes. It's one of the two. And then as soon as Samuel puts his eyes on David, God gives him a word. He is the one. Literally, he is this one. There he is. That's the one that you're to anoint as king. The one who is furthest away from the preferred standing of being the firstborn. The highest position in the family was to be the firstborn. The one that's furthest away from that is David, and he's the one that you're to anoint as king. When you were the firstborn, there was a lot of privileges that you would get. There was also a lot of responsibility. You would get two-thirds of the estate when, you're, when your parents died because you were um, the firstborn, and that was the privilege of being the firstborn. But at the same time, you would have to take care of the family if there was anything that happened. Like one of your brother's wives got, you know, uh, or one of, the, one of your brothers died and his wife, you got to take care of her because you got two-thirds of, uh, of the estate. But it was the position of preference. It was the position of privilege in the Old Testament. And here, God once again, happens many times in the Old Testament. It's not the firstborn. It's not the tallest. It's not the strongest. It's not the brightest. It's the youngest. It's the cutest. It's the one who doesn't have the wisdom of years. It's the one who we relegate to, to shepherding the herds. That's the one that you're anoint, to anoint. Samuel does it immediately. And as he anoints him, the scripture says the Holy Spirit rushes upon him. 
Now, this must be a different type of uh, spirit and dwelling than what we experience in the, in, 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 in the New Testament. As we understand the New Testament, the Spirit of God comes upon us at conversion so that God is living inside of you. You become the temple of God. Why is this not the temple of God, this building? Because it means nothing until we are gathered together and we are the temple of the God together. We, he resides inside of us. He indwells us. He regenerates our soul so that we can see him and desire him. And then he lives inside of us. That is the dwelling, indwelling of the spirit in the New Testament. This is something different. And the reason we know it's something different because he, he also came upon Saul and he's left Saul. <laughs> Sorry, I'm done with you. And now I'm going to David. So it's a different kind of a spirit indwelling because the spirit doesn't leave us in the New Testament. And so the fact that it's something that can come and go tells us that it's probably some kind of um, special feeling for a specific purpose. In this case, being a king. You have a specific purpose. I'm going to give you a special spilling of the spirit to do that purpose. I would liken it to also in the New Testament, we see this, the spirit comes, across, the spirit comes upon some preachers as they preach the word of God. We see this in the book of Acts. We see this actually all through all, all, the, all the scriptures. So there's a, a special feeling for certain activities that's not necessarily the indwellment of the Spirit as we see at salvation. It's not a salvific thing. But our text tells us that it's not these, but it is these. Not the tallest, not the strongest. It's the youngest and the smallest, which brings us back to our big idea. Within God's paradigm, we need to learn to expect the unexpected. That's what he's saying. Saul stops, Samuel stops sitting there and get up and go. Expect the unexpected. It's not all the big, tall guys. It's the small one, the, the youngest one. Expect the unexpected. We've been there and done that with the tallest and strongest. It didn't work out. Israel got their pick, failed miserably. Now God gets his pick and his focus is on the heart. He's not the tallest in stature. He doesn't have the wisdom coming with age. He's not the firstborn as someone might expect, or societal expect, expectations would be. Why doesn't that matter? Because in God's paradigm, we need to learn to expect the unexpected. In God's paradigm, we need to learn to expect the unexpected. I want to see if I can flesh this out in a real-life way and then see if we can apply it to ourselves. Years ago, I was uh, being trained at a great church not far from here, called the church at Rocky Peak. In fact, I don't know if you know this, but Brandon, our new high school pastor, we got him from the church at Rocky Peak. And, um, and he'll be preaching here in September, so you can get to know him a little more as well. I'm excited to see that. Uh, but while I was in Bible college and then, and then seminary, I was getting trained at this great church. It was kind of a massive church, uh, larger church. I was one of four on staff for the middle school ministry there. We had about 125 to 150 kids in regular attendance in a ministry called Wildlife's Middle School Ministry or Junior High Ministry. Every year we would do this one event called Wild Night. In fact, I haven't had the chance to ask Brandon, but he might have been there at this event that I'm going to talk about. I'll have to ask him um, after church maybe. Uh, Wild Night, it was, uh, um, it was an outreach event that we would do, and basically anything shy of like a hot air balloon ride, we were doing to try to get as many students as possible to come to this event. Uh, it had grown to about 500 students, 50% of which we believe were non-churched. Financial sponsors and all, we probably spent about $10,000 on that one event every year. 
anything from inflatable obstacle courses, go-kart rides, motorized scooter races, skate ramps, human slingshot, anything carnival style we had, and uh, all the kids in the valley knew about it, and they would come. We would actually publicize in the local theater. We would put uh, uh, an advertisement before the movie so anybody who was there would be able to see that this event was coming. Of course, the most important thing to, for us was the gospel presentation. Uh, we just did all those little things to get the kids there. And then our most important thing, we wanted to get the gospel to these students. That was our main goal. And so we would hire the best communicator that we could find. And we found a really good communicator, somebody who was amazing. You guys would love him because he's a great communicator as it relates to adults. Spared no expense, hired him, brought him on out and uh, you know, kind of saying, how will he do with students, 500 students? He can certainly keep the attention of a crowd. Well, this guy had the um, style of using rhetorical question to keep his audience engaged. And it worked amazing. He would use a lot of rhetorical questions and the audience would remain engaged for adults. And then he has 500 students here, 50% of which never been to church before or have no like history in church. Do you know what 500 unsaved kids do when you ask them a rhetorical question? They answer it. And then they tell the stories to their little buddies about how they experience whatever the answer is. And then for the next two to three minutes, you're trying to wrangle them back in again and get their attention. And you know what he would do after he wrangled them back in? Ask another rhetorical question. It was horrible. It was like a nightmare. The following year, we're like, we have to figure this out. <laughs> like, we're, we're not putting on this event just for fun. We want to get the gospel to these students. And so we took a chance on a guy. His name was Chris Simning. Anybody ever heard of Chris Simning before? Chris Simning is an incredible guy. Uh, he's a Christian evangelist, motivational speaker. In fact, I've been trying for a while to get him to come to Camp CC. I just put another, as I'm doing this message, I put another email into him, uh, seeing if he's available to come at some point. I think it'd be a wonderful encouragement to our church if we can get him here. He's a Christian evangelist, motivational speaker with cerebral palsy. His story goes that he was living a rather normal life in junior high until one day he woke up in the eighth grade and he couldn't lift his chin from his, from his chest. He actually had some form of uh, a rare muscle disease, nerve disease his whole life, but it had, been, had remained dormant until the eighth grade. He um, spent five years getting worse and worse until he was confined to a wheelchair, unable to care for himself. Can you imagine the amount of teasing and ridicule he got in his life? Kiss Chris would eventually, uh, through a miracle, uh, uh, regain his ability to walk albeit with an extremely deformed limp. He was able to talk, albeit with an extremely difficult to understand lisp. It was a big risk. This year, there was 550 largely unsaved middle school students at this event. And how would they respond when last year they were booing off the band and the speaker? You have to understand if we ever get Chris to come here, you'll understand, but you have to really concentrate to understand him. Like it takes concentration to follow along what he's saying. It was a big risk. 
And do you know that you could hear a pin drop for 30 minutes of a gospel presentation from Chris Simning to 550 kids? 100 students responded to the call to follow Christ. 100 students were instantly followed up on that night with a gospel counselor. 100 Bibles were given away that night, some probably 25 years ago. You see, within God's paradigm, we really need to learn to expect the unexpected. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 28 says, God chose the lowly things of this world to despise the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. Do you know what happens when God uses a guy like Chris? He gets all the glory. God gets all the glory so clearly. God has to get the glory for that situation. All because a gentleman didn't allow his cerebral palsy to stop him from doing God's mission and purpose for his life. How many times did he think to himself, there must be somebody better, more well-suited for this job? Maybe somebody who's taller, maybe somebody who's stronger, maybe somebody who's not disabled. How many times did he have to fight back and find victory over the stifling thoughts of depression? God, you can't possibly want to use me. See, within God's paradigm, we really need to get clear the notion in our hearts that we can expect him to do the unexpected. Where am I headed with all this? I think sometimes in our minds, we're always thinking there's someone better, someone else. I don't have all the answers. I don't know enough of the Bible. Uh, there's somebody taller, stronger, brighter. I'm too young. I'm too old. Whatever those things are, and God just sitting there going, but do you have the right heart? Because I can figure all that stuff out if you just have the right heart. The reason I chose David is because he has the right heart and he's gonna make some massive mistakes, but you know what? He has the right heart. I can make way with all the mistakes. I can, I'm God, I'm sovereign. I can maneuver, I can master plan as long as I have your heart. Stop thinking to yourself, there's another day, there's another person. God wants to use you with all your baggage. All that baggage just means that he'll get glory when he uses you. Do you see it? I hope you do. Expect the unexpected. Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes with me as we pray. Father, sometimes it's so easy to see principles in the text and yet not apply them to our own lives. <laughs> well, I can see it there, but I don't see it in my own life. And yet I think you call us to do more than that. You don't call us just to be Bible students, understand your word and correct interpretation and all that stuff. You call us to let it live out in our lives. I know there's people in this room right now who have more to give you, who've been stifled through depression or convince themselves that it's not them and not now, and yet that's exactly what you're calling them to. Set all your insecurity aside, set all your down moments aside, set all the baggage aside and say, you know what? I think God might be calling me 
And the only prerequisite is that I have the right heart. I pray that you would uh, let us be ignited in our heart to do something for you because the kingdom of God, the purposes of God, the mission of God still stand before us no matter what has happened behind us. Help us latch on to that. Help us be used for your glory. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor David. You know, uh, I was just thinking there may be people here in this room or maybe joining us online today who haven't yet given their heart to Jesus Christ. And this kind of lesson today made me think, what are you waiting for? You know, it's, it's time to repent. It's time to turn towards God and accept his offer to forgive you and begin to follow him. And he has a purpose for your life. Um, if you're ready to do that today, you can become a follower of Jesus simply by acknowledging the fact that you're a sinner to him. Um, ask him for his forgiveness, which he's willingly willing to give you, um, and then begin to follow him in his ways. Um, we'd love to be part of that journey with you. You can uh, let us know would be like the probably the number one step you could take right now if like God's doing something in your heart. Go to the welcome counter on the left-hand side of the lobby on your way out and talk to the people there and let them know that what's going on so we can be part of this with you. And if you're online, go to campcc.net, click on next steps at the top of the page, fill out a little form, and one of our pastors will get back to you. All right, we're going to continue worshiping our Lord through giving. It's um, We do that because the Bible asks us to do that, to, to sacrifice financially for the kingdom. Um, and those of you who tithe and give offerings, it's part of our worship of the Lord. It's also how everything here we do is supported. So we do appreciate uh, your faithfulness in that. All right, three ways to participate. Uh, online at our website, click give at the top of the page. You can text any amount to 84321. There's an offering box in the lobby. Um, before you go, would you check out this video? Camp CC, I'm Nevaeh Hurtado and I'm part of the middle school ministry and I'm glad that you are here with us today. If today is your first time with us, welcome. If it's your second time with us, glad you're back. If you're our first time guest, we have a $5 Starbucks gift card for you. All you do is grab a connected card, fill it out both sides and take it to the welcome counter in the lobby. Or scan this QR code with your phone's camera and let the welcome counter know you filled it out digitally. You can also let us know how we can be praying for you on that card as well. If this is time number two for filling out a connection card, we have a $10 gift card to In-N-Out Burger. Just let us know it's your second time at the welcome counter and it's going home with you. We will also invite you to our all-you-can-eat dessert with our pastors, elders, and staff. If you're watching online, go to campcc.net slash next steps. There are many great things coming up at CampCC. Be thinking about who you will invite to join you. September. Growth groups are kicking off next month. This is a great time to connect with others in our church. It feels like a family as you do life together. Sign-ups coming in September. If you can't wait, email jimmoyer at campcc.net or go to campcc.net slash groups. Sunday, October 8th, Ryan Stevenson in concert at 7 p.m. CampCC welcomes Dove Award winning and Billboard charting artist Ryan Stevenson. You know his hits such as I of the Storm, Amadeo, and the Gospel. And co-writing Toby Mac's Grammy-nominated number one song, Speak Life. Speak life Tickets available on our website, October 20th through the 22nd, Women's Retreat. Ladies, 
You can now sign up for the women's retreat held at Mount Crags in Calabasas at campcc.net slash women. For more info, connect with Allison at campcc.net. of what's going on at Camp CC, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more info on any of these events, go to campcc.net. My name is Angela Luz and I'm a worship leader here at Camp CC. Thank you to Pastor Dave for that wonderful message. Just the thing that really has stuck with me is no matter what's happened in my life, no matter what's going on in my life, God's purposes are still there. His promises are still true. He is still working. So I can get up tomorrow, I can take a step out and see what his next um, purpose in my life is. Um, be praying about who you can invite to join you. And um, we're gonna be heading into the fall and the holiday season. So let's fill up these seats and let's spread the word of God for those around us. Um, growth group signups are today in the lobby. Check those out. We're gonna be starting up groups really soon. We've also got donuts and coffee. I think they're in the lobby, not outside. Um, stay dry today and stay safe and we'll see you next Sunday.